welcome to the New York Film Academy Hour, episode 11. Today we have actress and director Jessica Oyelowo in the studio with us. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. Hey, welcome. I'm Joelle. And I'm Pega. And we are so excited because today we have a super amazing Awesome guest, Jessica Ayelowo. How are you doing Hi, today? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I'm excited to be here. We have so much to talk about. I don't want to waste any time. Let's dive right into it. We always start with the same first question, which is, when did you first know you were in love with cinema? Gosh, when did I first know I was in love with cinema? I don't... I'm going to have to have a moment, because I knew when I first hated it. <laughs> That's an interesting question as well, though. When was this moment? Um, when I was four years old, my mum dropped me and my brother and sisters off at the cinema to watch E.T., which had just come out, to go and run some errands. And it was the first time I'd ever been to a movie theatre. And it was oh. so full, there were no seats. So I had to sit on the floor at the front oh, no. with this giant screen, my first time, thinking I was on my own with E.T. with those bony fingers. <laughs> and I wouldn't go to the toilet by myself for six weeks afterwards because I thought E.T. was going to kind of come around oh, the, no. the corner of the bathroom door. So that was when I hated cinema. I fell in love with uh, performance and storytelling through any medium I could get my hands on uh, around the same time, though. I just didn't realise that you could tell amazing stories through cinema mm. until I was a lot older. So I danced and I acted and I sang and I played musical instruments. I did everything other than cinema. It's also I grew up in the countryside. Cinema doesn't really happen in the countryside. This is so true. Yeah. Do you remember your first performance? I was two and a half and I had a ballet solo. Oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I've always loved communicating through artistic Media, I've so, always loved that. So then, I guess it's a fair guess to say you started with theater. Then, yes, very much so. Do you have a favorite playwright or favorite performance you've done for theater? Hmm, <laughs> probably the Jungle Book. I played Mowgli. I was um, I was in the local amateur dramatics society. <laughs> And the boys just couldn't cut it, so I kept getting all the lead boy roles. Amazing. Because <laughs> they were like, well, women. She, she's better than you guys. And all the other mothers hated my mum as a result. Oh, no. Because they were like, it's not fair, she's getting all the roles. But I, I just loved it. It was such a big passion of mine. So yeah. that was my favourite uh, performance, I think, doing that one. So talk to me a little bit about how you go from, as you say, living in the country in England to coming here to Hollywood. It's a quite an interesting journey going from a town where everybody's a farmer or worked for British Telecom who had their headquarters nearby. Um, so fierce intellects and agriculture, like that mm. was it. Yeah. And um, I, I went to a lovely school, Woodbridge School. I grew up in a little town called Woodbridge. Went to a really good school and my singing teacher had a flyer through... Uh, in the post, in the mail, for the National Youth Music Theatre. Oh. And I'd been to London once in my life at that point. <laughs> I was 16. I lived 80 miles from London and I'd only been once. Literally, my life was like this. Wow. And um, she said, do you want to audition for this thing? I said, yeah, right, might as well, why not? And so I, I did. I, I braved it and went down to London and auditioned for this National Theatre and got the lead in their main show. Wow. 
So it was just one of those things. I'd always loved to do it. I was the kind of kid that never slept. So my parents looked for things to keep me occupied. And it was always to do with storytelling, always to do with some kind of performance. And um, I didn't know I was really any good until I was given the opportunity for a national platform and was was given it. And um, that happens to be where I met my husband. Oh. We were babies. I was <laughs> 16 or 17. He was 18. Wow, young love. Young love. We were friends for a couple of years, but then we, yeah, I, I, I through that show, I did the Brecht um, Three Penny Opera, and um, I we did the show for, for months in the end. It was such a great Wow. I'm sorry, show. were you performing Brecht at 16? Yeah, 17. My goodness. Polly Peachum. How okay? Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Breck is so much research and breaking down, and and there's so little uh, specific direction with within it to create a character. That must have been a lot of early character work for you. Yeah, very much so. It was quite. It was quite um, a, a journey for little country girl me because. Um, our director was fantastic. He he treated us like professionals. We were all teenagers, and he he basically said, "This is a professional production. We have professional set designers, costume designers, lighting, everything, and we expect you to to be your very very best." Never treated us like kids. Mm. And I I got the role of Polly Peachum, and then we were going through rehearsal. And he went, "Stop." I want it more cabaret, more more sexy. I want it more, come on, you've got to give your all to this. She's a ballsy woman. And I went, I don't know what cabaret is. <laughs> I didn't know what cabaret was, but I was too scared to ask. Oh. So I just kind of did it again. He went, this is your last chance or I'm going to fire you from this role and you're going to be in the chorus. Oh, Do it more cabaret. And I went, I'm not, I don't know what cabaret is. And he explained it. And I went, oh, and did it how he wanted it finally but that was such an awakening for me to realize that you could take a script like or an opera like the three penny opera and turn it into something absolutely magical we really did have incredible set costume lighting everything design and uh, we went to the Edinburgh Festival. We came to Broadway. Wow. We were at City Centre Theatre, which is a beautiful big theatre um, just off Broadway. And then to London's West End. We were all kids. <laughs> but nobody had performed the show for so long, and it was such a loved show that everybody wanted it. And that's how I got an agent. I didn't know what an agent was. Wow. So um, it was it was wonderful because I, I just had pure performance love and story love with no aspirations and um, then I got signed by ICM, and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> that is an incredible journey. Yeah. So this leads you then to film. Is Sleepy Hollow was not your first time on camera, was it? No, I did a couple of tiny little British shows where the casting directors and the directors that that they're, it's a very small industry in England. And um, very nurturing, actually. It's very mm. different to Hollywood. <laughs> um, where the people will take you under their wing and help you out. So I'd only ever done stage performance. And I had casting directors in the audition saying, now, this is for camera. Everyone's going to see your face mm-hmm. this big. You need to tone it all the way down. OK, let's try again. You look really sweet and kind and training me in camera work because I'd never done it before. Sure. And um, I, I, so I did a couple of little British dramas... Um, which was great training just for the technicalities of camera work. And then I had um, 
Susie Figgis was the casting director on Sleepy Hollow, who had found me. She was the one that got me an agent at the oh my. National oh. Youth Music Theatre. She often used them as an agency if she needed young actors. So Smart she, woman. Brilliant. Smart woman. So she came, I, she came directly to me and said, I want you to audition for this thing, which I did, I was wrong for, but she she contacted the agencies and said, you need to see this girl. So that's how I got an agent. So then she called me in to meet Tim Burton and Scott Rudin, and we had an argument in front of them, and that's how I got the role. <laughs> More about this argument. Yes, I want to hear about meeting Tim Burton and, and going into that so young. What was that like? Well, I was probably 20. I got married to David when I was 20. I did Sleepy Hollow. Maybe it was just before we got married I did the audition because I did the job maybe a couple of months after we got married. I can't remember exactly how it all worked. But... Um, I went in to meet to meet them in a very posh hotel in London, and it's all oh, so nice to meet you. So nice to meet mm-hmm. you. And Susie goes, "What's this? I hear that you're going to change your stage name. That's ridiculous. You're getting married. You don't have to change your name." <laughs> I went, "But I want to change my name." And she goes, "No, you don't have to change your name." I said, "No, I don't have to, but I want to. I want to have the name O Yellowo. I know it's ridiculous, but I want it." <laughs> and we had this big old row about me changing my name, and I wouldn't back down, and she wouldn't back down, and Tim and Scott Rudin were kind of like, "Ooh, <laughs> what's going on?" And because I think I was ballsy and brazen enough to have a fight in front of them, they thought I'd do well on a set with Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci. Oh, amazing. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. So you you know you're working with great directors. You're now directing yourself. I'm curious, what do you think makes a great director? Well, I would, per, my personal opinion, which I know isn't true of all directors, uh, because it takes all sorts literally. Otherwise, we just have the same story, all the time. Um, but I love it when directors have um, the ability to to shine a, a light and put a magnifying glass on humanity in a way mm. that you haven't seen it before whether it's in a big old tentpole movie or in a tiny independent low 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 micro budget film um, directors who can communicate the human condition and shine a light on something that you've never thought of before or people that you've never seen on film before or um places you've never been before mm. and make them uh, normal, make them real and make them accessible. That reminds me of uh, Viola Davis's speech um, when she won the Oscar and she was saying, you know, uh, seeing just living in ordinary life is a story and highlighting those, look, we don't need necessarily big superhero fights or anything. These interpersonal, small relationships make wonderful stories. Yeah. And they're important. They are. They're very important. And Fences, that she was she won for and she was talking about is uh, um, an extraordinary example of that I mean he's a garbage guy she's a housewife and they have a kid and he wanted to play baseball I mean honestly if you break down the story there's very little to it very simple but it's just who they are it's shining a light on their relationships and how how we get through this thing called life that makes all the difference are there any specific directors that inspire you Yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, honestly, my biggest directorial hero is only on her fourth movie, and it's Ava DuVernay. Oh, yes. yes. She is she wonderful. She is literally a genius. 
I, I like Ava because she didn't touch a camera until she was 33. And it gives this sense of, like, there is no time for you to start achieving your dream. It's no. just when it comes to you. No, and she was so fed up of people not doing the things that she wanted to see on film. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, why don't I do it? And she had been trained through working for years in Hollywood. Mm. She understood cinema. She understood Hollywood. Mm-hmm. She understood the system. And she's really good at marketing. She was a publicist for years. Mm-hmm. So she knows... She knew what she was doing before she realized she knew what she was doing. Um, we met her when um, David worked on her second feature, which was called Middle of Nowhere. And we met her, and I'd go on set and visit with the kids and go, can I, can I just hang out a lot, please? <laughs> a lot. This is amazing. And I literally got a babysitter every Thursday and would just follow her around. Oh, wow. After she finished the movie. I was, can I get your dry cleaning? Can I uh, clean your apartment? Can I... What can I do? Just give me things... I'll, so you were Ava DuVernay's shadow. I was... I just kind of... Just give me jobs, Ava. I want to be in your presence. Please. Wow. And she she was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> find me a new office. So I tried to find her a new office, and I didn't. But it didn't matter. It was like... I just... I realised I found someone who's... I mean, directors who can shine a light in human condition is very important. People who want to tell their version of the truth or find ultimate truth in what they're doing are enormously important in all forms of art. And Ava has that ability. She's just interested in telling the truth. And um, she is in her personal life, in her, in her own life. Like, she's just truthful. She really is very truthful. And... Um, so I just enjoyed being around that kind of person, let alone that kind of filmmaker. Um, and I know she has no idea what it did for me, but it did a lot for me. And, you know, I went and visited her on her recent set shooting Wrinkle in Time. I was like, yes. wow. We went from middle of nowhere, which was like $250,000 movie, to $120 million movie. Seeing, and she's exactly the same. There's wow. no, she's not, she's just telling the truth. She's a genius. That's incredible. You mentioned how good she is at uh, marketing. I've been following her adventures on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, my gosh. She posts these amazing photos, which have me hyped for a movie that I don't think is coming out for, like, another two years or something like that. Wait. It is... She is... If you guys don't follow her, you definitely want to check out Ava DuVernay's accounts because uh, seeing her go... Even when she was doing Selma, she started documenting that process when she was writing it. She locked herself in a hotel room for two weeks and just banged out the script. I think she shot it over the course of, like, two or three months, right? Really, it was, it was just so it fast. It was very independent film. Yeah, so she's she's yeah. incredible. I want to take that and say, what inspired you to write your film after the storm? Well, I around twenty six, I suppose twenty five something. Um, I'd been acting for a little bit and enjoying a certain amount of success in England. Um, and we had talked about moving to the states, but we hadn't had any fixed plans yet. So we were still, you know. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be lovely to direct one day? I'm not ready yet. I knew I wasn't ready. I needed a lot more life under my belt. Um, I knew I wanted more kids. So um, I wanted to pursue what I was doing and not make a career change then. So I did. And I kept pursuing. And then um, I think when I was 29, we moved to the States. And... um, Even though it's not so nurturing or sweet in Hollywood as it is in England there's the opportunity if you are willing to take it is everywhere yes absolutely uh-huh. you can literally do anything if you really really want to 
in England, we are very good at pigeonholing people. So <laughs> you do this, you don't do anything else. You do that, you don't do anything else. So I was this performer. I can sing, I can dance, I can act, I can, I can, I don't know, juggle. Whatever else it is, I'm good at math. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That's wow. incredible. It's a I skill I totally lack. Math, me, physics me and German is what I studied. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That's how little I knew that about the entertainment industry and that I was going to go into it. <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, I, in, and in England I found myself constantly kind of people going, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, you're an actress, stop it, don't try and do anything else. Mm-hmm. And there's no... I love England. I love England. But there's no, like, um, encouragement, there's very few kind of mentoring programmes, um, there's there's no money. Mm. There's, there's no money for the... Um, for the film industry, and a lot of the money since we've left has been cut that was going into the film industry. So it's a very cottage industry, very small and um, very difficult to flourish in. So I kind of had this notion, I want to direct. And then and I, and I thought to myself, well, maybe when I'm around 40, I'll be ready. I'll have some more life uh, under my belt. I'll have some <laughs> more... I'll be more mature. <laughs> and... Um, I got to, I think, 36 and thought, well, I said 40, so if I'm going to do it, I better do it now. And I just, I'd, I'd had three boys and then I had a daughter. And I knew that if I really, if I wanted to do it, I need to do it now because I don't want my daughter growing up thinking mummy has all these things that she can do and she's not doing any of them. Yeah. So I, uh, I sat myself down and during the filming of Selma, in which my husband played Dr. King... Um, I was just thinking, well, what was it like for Coretta Scott King mm. when he was away 28 days out of every month, wow. when there was 40 death threats per day against him and their family, when bricks and bombs were being thrown at their house, when their friends were being shot? What's it like as a family to do that? And, and David was just playing a role. He's not play- He's not Dr King. But it was hard to have normal conversations with him because he was so immersed in the role. Sure. His head was so elsewhere. We were renovating our house at the time. <laughs> I was like, so grey curtains or brown curtains? He was going, oh, Will, I'm, uh, I'm not sure which kind of a curtain I would like. I was like, dude, we're not picking curtains while you're Dr King. <laughs> So could, I'm just going to choose. Go away. Um, but I lost him while we were while he was shooting. I kind of lost him, and I went, "What was it like for the, all of these families? All these men out on the front lines? There were women out on the front lines too, but we don't hear about them so much in history." Ava did a good job of highlighting their plight in yeah. Selma. They weren't in the original script at all. She highlighted the women in in the civil rights movement, mm. of which there were many and incredibly important women. But the wives of the men on the front line who are home with the kids, because that's what you did, they were just stuck in fear for their family's lives constantly, and they had to keep on living. So I, um, I took that experience, and I, you know, kind of, you got to write what you know. Well, ironically, that was what I knew at the time. So I started thinking about a story where there's a family engaged in, the, in a, a, a civil rights struggle, but what happens to that family when um, they're separated by it and there's they keep on having to live they keep having to go to school to work to clean the house to you know take the trash out but there's um, 
a, a, a bigger and deeper thing happening in their lives um, that they're having to handle while carrying on living. So that's where the inspiration came to write the short film. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. We actually have the trailer. I'm going to take a look at that real quick. Hatred? That's what you spell in words? Mm-hmm. H-A-T-E-R-E-D. Hatred. Not quite. There's no E in the middle. Think of people who hate wearing red hats. Red hats? Nothing happened. First of all, it looks so lovely. Thank you. So beautiful. Yeah. I want to talk to you a little bit about what it was like transitioning from being in front of the camera to behind the camera. We know you shadowed Ava DuVernay a little bit, um, and it's something you've been thinking about for a long time, but when you started to put the actions into practice, what was that like? Um, it was actually very exciting. <clears throat> I realized that throughout my acting career, I would spend most of my time with the DP. I would just sit and ask questions. And that was even before I'd really thought about directing. I'm not someone who needs to sit in their trailer all day and mm. powder their nose. I'm far <laughs> more interested in the process and what it is for everybody because when you make a film, you have a team. There's, for, for me, an actor is a cog in a wheel. It's, we're, we're, we're part of the crew um, and everybody on that set is trying to tell the same story. So I, I loved to question the crew on what they were doing and why and how it's going to help the story and so I would lit I'd literally and actually most DPs I've worked with were very kind and generous and give that give me their time uh, probably because a lot of people don't usually ask them yeah. about what they're doing but I was saying why are you composing the shot like that which filter are you using well why are you using that lens what what's this what's an ND what's a stop what's <laughs> what does he do with his little thing what's it <laughs> and I I got to understand the whole process of filmmaking by being an actress so when I went behind the camera I, I knew what I was doing because I understood the departments I'd speak to the costume designer makeup designer I'd find out I've always speak to my mother always ask why, always ask why, <laughs> about everything. From as soon as I could speak, and I was speaking very young, <laughs> I would ask, I, I, like, I need to know why. It's why I did physics. I, I was so interested in why. Like, why does everything work the way it works? I have one of these inquisitive minds. So it was completely natural, honestly, for me to step behind the camera. And because I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable in a crowd leading people to do things, you know, it, it's... Uh, um, uh, as a as a, a wife of a very, 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 very busy man and mother to four children, I run 
my own private company of which I am the CEO, CFO, yes. HR department. I'm ev- you know like I run that ship and have a career. So acting was like sorry directing was easy. <laughs> <laughs> I think more women don't realize they have the natural innate ability to direct just because they're a woman. I'm not kidding. We have this incredible lack of women behind the camera because we think we can't do it because we because not too many women have done it but it's the exact opposite uh, there are a lot of amazing male directors don't get me wrong um but i think women can have a unique perspective on storytelling and on directing because we just naturally it doesn't matter if you have kids it doesn't matter if you've got a family it's just we ha- naturally have a more inclusive um attitude towards people and when you have a bunch of creatives on a set because everyone in the set on that set is creative then and you have the opportunity to bring out their very best by being more inclusive and nurturing than egotistical you make a better movie you just mm-hmm. do a better job because um, everyone feels valued and when people feel valued they bring out the best in themselves so um, I honestly like call to all the women ladies ladies Come on, we we need to be behind the camera because there are stories not being told because we are not telling them, and we have the perspective that has been lacking mm. from Hollywood and from cinema generally that must be told. I mean, there's this film in India that um, about three women struggling. I can't remember what it's called, but it's been banned because it's too feminist. I saw oh, this yesterday because it's directed by a woman and it's about women. You're like, are you kidding me? What? Because we're fifty percent of the world's population, we shouldn't have a perspective on these things. Oh, I just so don't angry. understand who, like, who's being hurt by observing the film. Like, right. what is men? There's, there's so yeah. many women. What will we do? It's, it's foolishness. How did you go about deciding who you wanted? on your team I had had the extremely good fortune of meeting um, do you mean the like the crew like yeah. making the film mm-hmm. um, extremely good fortune of meeting a guy called Sam Sullivan um, who is um, a DP and editor and um, technical wizard he could basically do every job on the set he's one of those guys incredibly creative and incredibly technical and I'm very creative and very um, desirous to tell stories but he can do things that I'm like not a clue just no idea and um, the kind of partnership between us was so awesome because he could put on paper the technical language necessary for me to realise the vision Mm. Um, and so through the partnership with him, uh, I, I was able to bring the actors, makeup department, costume department, um, the various kind of people like that. He was able to bring a lot more of the technical crew. Um, and I think it was through my manager, she came up with the idea of going to the New York Film Academy and um, asking for an in-kind kind of swap where they were able to give us equipment and students for our crew. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with mostly heads of department that were professionals and then a lot of crew that were students. But 
you know, me being me, I'm like, yay, you can do it. <laughs> we had this great atmosphere on set where people were able to learn and grow. And Sam as well, he's a very kind person, very patient. He was able to nurture a lot of the camera crew that were working for him from New York Film Academy. And we got all this great equipment and were able to make a beautiful film as a result. I mean, we had equipment that we didn't have to pay for that a lot of short films can't afford. Right. What I like about the story is it's all about like who you know, because I know your manager knows our uh, director of our Q&A series, Tova Lighter, and then you brought all that together. And that's kind of this message that we keep getting. We've had a bunch of our industry lab folks come in who've worked through the process with NYFA and mm-hmm. yes. come out the other side with these kind of stunningly beautiful projects. I wanted to ask you, how did you land on the visual design for this uh, film? It was mostly... Um Understanding the the script was quite sparse in that it's it's not like expositional that we're not talking about um, what's going on we're watching what's going on and just seeing a family interact um, talking about spelling words and what you did at school today and what you want for breakfast and um, because of that I watched a lot of movies that were like that and I I watched Tree of Life mm. Terence Malick's Tree of Life several times with Sam and um, I'm always very interested in the idea of um, empty space so every composition as I learnt through all my amazing directors Mm -hmm. of photography that I sat and chatted with throughout the years your composition must tell a story so if you're whenever you're composing a shot you must uh, you can't just stick a camera on someone and tell them to act you have to give that actor everything everything you can to help them tell this story on screen so when you watch the film you'll see that there's there's quite a lot of empty space in front of or behind an actor in any kind of single shot um there's the idea of someone missing because in this family Mm -hmm. there's always somebody missing there's this dysfunction happening and you can't figure out why and um so that the visual style the lingering almost loneliness of it mm-hmm. um, was very, very much on purpose. It reminded me a lot of uh, ordinary people in, in a lot of the, the framing and the things unsaid inside the household. Yeah. So it, it worked really, really well. Thank you. Yeah. Your son was a part of this project. Yes. Tell me about how he got involved. Yeah, he, um, he was 10 at the time. He, um, he's always he's told me he wants to be the best actor in the world and the oh. fastest man in the world. So we're going for Big dreams. Two, yep. two separate things, an Olympian and an Oscar winner. And honestly, he could do it. Awesome. Why not? <laughs> of course he can. He's that kid. Um, and he, Ava asked if he could be one of the King children in Selma. So his first experience on a set was he's effectively an extra, but he's he was on set and understood what was going on. And his desire, much like his parents, is to just tell good stories he's 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 not um an attention seeker he just enjoys the process um so i realized that he would be able to do this that he'd he'd manage it um i actually i i taught a shakespeare class with homeschool kids for a few years that's adorable as you do (laughs) and um so i'd seen before he could read he was memorizing shakespearean monologues (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. I, I um, would record them on his iPod and he'd go to bed listening to them and then he would 
be able to regurgitate them and act and act them really well along with his older brother and all these other kids like I I did I I used the philosophy that they did with us in the National Youth Music Theatre is that I don't care if you're a kid you're an actor do your job tell the story and when you treat people uh, like that and you tell them that they can do it they can do it Mm. and I had this group of kids from like I don't know, six or seven to 12 years old, all ages, um, because my kids were homeschooled for a little bit, then um, just literally putting on Shakespearean performances before they could... And we talk about the context, we talk about what they were doing, they understood every word, we'd go deep and, you know, talk about, you know, one of them was doing Julius Caesar, (laughs) he's doing a big speech from that, he had to understand everything he was saying. But they can do it. They can totally do it. This is incredible. It sounds a lot like the Coppola clan where they would have yes. like, build yeah. a theater outside and maybe Sophia's putting on plays Honestly. all year. And... and I would just go around to my neighbors and say, look, my kids are homeschooled. They don't have a built-in audience. So could you please come and watch my children do Shakespeare? And they'd be like, yeah, okay. Amazing. <laughs> so that's, I knew he could act. I knew he'd be able to handle it. And because... I was directing him. I was able to go through the script with him for weeks in advance and help him learn his lines and help him understand what was going on. <clears throat> and we actually shot it in our house. So there you go, that's my house. And um, so we could go to where the film, where we were going to shoot. I could go through what he was going to do, where he was going to do it. So he was full of confidence when it actually came to the wow. moment. That's amazing. You've worked with your son, as we were just talking about, and, of course, your husband on a United Kingdom. When you guys are working together, are you bringing work home with you, or are you able to keep your lives very separate? It's an interesting question, because um, our lives are so intertwined with storytelling and mm. filmmaking that um, it's a we find it a fascinating topic of conversation anyway, so why not? involve everybody (laughs) um so we have movie night every friday night and we'll watch we'll watch anything we can we need more films that everyone can watch from our five-year-old girl to our 15 year old and that will entertain us as well but um we will just sit and talk about the movie afterwards as a family but my husband and i particularly and other friends come over on friday nights and we you know we we just have a film night and we talk about it and we love it we just love it so Yes, we bring our work home, um, but we we won't bring the... We'll deal with what we need to deal with with each other in terms of any stresses that are happening, but we don't bring that into our family. We'll um, deal with it rather than dwell on it. It, it seems like you do what you love, and so it's not a yeah. labor to have it come into the household. No, no, and... Um, it's it's funny, you know, our eldest son, he's a smart kid, and he's like, well, I think I might want to go and do engineering. I go, really? You want to be an engineer? <laughs> There's That's no the stories physics. in that. It's the physics. <laughs> like, you sure you don't want to be a music producer? <laughs> the opposite of every other parent. <laughs> exactly. So he's trying to convince us half the time that he should be something else. Actually, he's he's... I think he was just being a really good kid and then he's kind of realised how artistic he really is. He's very good at drawing and painting. and wow. Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting household. Everybody's an individual. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Everybody uh, can say they hated that film, they loved that film, they love this piece of art, they hate this piece of art, and it's all valid. But we'll bring those kind of discussions into our home. Do they critique your films? Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess they do. <laughs> yeah. Are um, you getting good reviews from the kids? <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Most of the time. Some films I can't see yet. Sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they, they, they're generally very encouraging. We're a positive bunch. And, um, yeah, so they, they're proud of their daddy and all the films that he's making and uh, the things that we're producing. They, they like it. Yeah. What would you say is your biggest takeaway from making After the Storm? That I can do it. That it wasn't just a pipe dream that I'm capable of doing this and I want to do it again and again and again. I loved it. It was, it was the, it, honestly, it felt like my whole life had led to being a director because of from popping out of the womb. <laughs> the midwife goes, oh, she's going to be a singer. Literally, the moment I popped out, I went, bah! <laughs> and um, this this love of and it, it wasn't applause I was after it was always like I can make your life better if you just let me dance to this song for you <laughs> and um, the idea that stories enrich our lives it's always been with me and then to take the helm and to actually kind of lead direct a story um, was the most wonderful and natural experience for me it was it was dare I say it easy in that um it was completely natural to me completely natural of course we had you know there was a scene where Chike Okonkwo who's our dad in the in the movie he had a tooth abscess oh no and he was he was acting through in, intense pain and it was oh, a really no. challenging day for him and you know I'd be giving him notes to go mm-hmm, and he was couldn't listen because he was in so much pain but um didn't matter like you just go well it's going to add something that we wouldn't have had otherwise so let's do it um yeah I loved it I want to talk very briefly about the casting process because you have Cheatway but then you also have one of my favorite actors working right now Gugu Mbappe Ra Mm -hmm. who is just stunning did you just Mm -hmm. call up your friends and you're like I'm making a movie (laughs) show up pretty much so lucky I know so lucky so so lucky I, I I'm fully aware of that but it was also I wrote um, you're not supposed to write with people in mind because you can never get them. But because it's a short film and I knew it was going to be like three and a half days, four days of shooting in my house, I could pretty much rely on Caleb, my son, to be there. Sure. <laughs> uh, and Chike, who is basically like my kid's uncle. He's there on, He's our honorary brother and the kid's uncle. In our, he's always mm. at our house, so he was going to be there. And Chike and Gugu are best friends. So mm. it kind of made sense, but I wrote my script with all the limitations I could think of so that I knew I could get it made. Yeah. And it made me more creative. Initially, I had scenes here, there, and everywhere, and I just went, nope, I have to set it in one place. No unit moves. We're staying here. Um, I shot it with three people in a house so that I didn't have any extras. I didn't have any extra people to cast. Um, and I was pretty sure I was going to get those guys. And if I couldn't, I've got thank God, a list as long as my arm of the most incredible African-American actresses that I could have called on. So um, it wasn't a uh, a big issue for me in terms of casting, but I was very, very, very lucky to get the people I did. Did you guys do rehearsals at all? Yeah, like I say, we shot in my house. So I was able to sit with... Uh, when Whenever Gugu was in town, we'd kind of get together and I'd talk through my ideas and we read the script together. We did a mini table read Um I'd talk through ideas of sound design and music and all kinds of stuff with them so that they had all their... Their guns were fully loaded when they came to shoot. 
So they were ready. It was it was good. Amazing. So you finished your first project now. What advice do you have to those who are just starting their first project? That you can do it. It it can feel like a very daunting task to um, organize everything. Mm. And I'm not an administrator. I'm not good at organizing things. So I just stuck with what the job at hand. And for me, it was to write. And then I would just let God do the details of bringing the people into my life that needed to come into my life to make it happen. And Sam came into my life. And I go, okay, Sam's in my life. Actually, Sam had already come into my life. We'd started making a documentary together, which we're still doing. But um, he he also gave me the confidence that I can do this. So I would just write, knowing that I don't have all the answers now. I don't know how it's all going to come together. But I know that it will if I just keep... If I keep, write another word, I'm a step closer to making this happen. And then it is really incredible how... People love films. They want to be a part of it. They want to help out. Um, and so we did. We ended up um, doing an Indiegogo crowdfunding thing to make some money. I had no idea how to do that. A friend of mine did. And so she co- came on to co-produce and to uh, help out with all the funding from that point of view. Um, I had people like Carol, my manager, come along and say, I can get you in touch with New York Film Academy um, so we suddenly had all this amazing equipment and we didn't have to rent nearly so much that we, as we thought we would. And we had people as PAs and runners who, you know, all that they're up from before dawn to after dusk, running around doing the worst jobs and loving it because they just get to be on a film set. And they were lovely people. Um, and it just all added to the process. So anyone wanting to start on their project now, just keep writing or encouraging your writer, whoever's writing it, or if you have the script, start breaking it down. Start taking bite-sized chunks out of what has to come next, and you'll be amazed at how things come. The, the, the best artistry is natural. If you force it, 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 it and it has a, the wrong intention behind it, it often doesn't work out how you wanted it to. Mm-hmm. So our philosophy, as, as um, told us, by the great and wise Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> is what's your intentions? Always be true to your intentions because your intentions will always determine the result. Mm-hmm. So um, my intention was to tell a story that I felt was worth telling. So I did. What's up next for you? Well, um, right now in movies, in the movie theatres, you can see me acting in a United Kingdom. Such a great job. I saw it was at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival and I thought it's wonderful. You. Thank you. Um, yes, my husband plays the uh, heir to the throne of Botswana and I play a racist cow who's trying to split him <laughs> up from his wife to be. It was great fun. Who's played by Rosamund Pike. Pike. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, they make a lovely couple on screen. <laughs> and I spent my whole time going... <laughs> <laughs> it was very fun to shoot. It was an amazing experience uh, for all of us. We produced the movie and um, it's out now. Uh, directorially, I am currently writing a feature. Um, Excellent. Yes. Don't want to stop this ball rolling. So I'm... Yeah. Um, again, it's like, let the inspiration come to you and... Um, I've been involved with a, a literary charity in L.A. called Get Lit, who um, I will judge 
I will judge poetry competitions for them. And I'm always so inspired because the kids that write these poems are just incredible. They just, I just weep. I weep. I'm trying to judge these kids. I'm like, you're amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I get so inspired. I just went, you know what? If there's some inspiration I need to get from today, then just give it to me. And I had this idea for five kids in L.A. who are involved in this program who have very difficult lives, but they have a means of self-expression. They have an artistic outlet that essentially saves their lives. Mm. Um, And I, I know that there are many people who that that is true of their lives. My husband was growing up in not the nicest conditions in um, in a city London and got a grant from the Prince's Trust for £300 to join the National Youth Music Theatre wow. where we met. He then got a scholarship to the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts and then he went on to be an actor. And, you know, there's there's he, he would have been fine. He would have been fine. His life wasn't saved by it, but people's lives are truly changed by self-expression, by finding a way to, to understand your circumstances, understand what's happening in your life and... Um, so I want to tell this story of these amazing teenagers. Some of them are overcoming things that are unimaginable to most people. What teenagers are growing up with now, and it's close to my heart. My kids are, two of them are in their teens. You know, I'm, yeah. it's, it's um, my daily life. My kids are very privileged, very privileged, and are not dealing with most of the things that a lot of kids are. But still, we've got to tell their story. Absolutely. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for yes. sharing your inspirations with us and your your trials and also your fascinating, charming life. Oh my gosh, your family <laughs> sounds adorable. Can we come over for dinner? Right? Yeah, totes. <laughs> come for Friday night movie yes. night. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. We really Pleasure. appreciate it. Guys, you can always come back every Thursday at 4 o'clock for class here at the NIFA Film Hour. Um, I've been Joelle. And I've been Pega. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Christian Harloff, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.